Mayor Eric Adams of New York City just visited the occupation. He toured also the police academy. He was like, hey, let me show you how to not leave the Star of David. Golda Meir, a Ukrainian terrorist who didn't want sick or disabled Jews moving to the occupation, threatened a worldwide nuclear holocaust, poisoned land in the West Bank as a part of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Better give her a movie waiting on the Mussolini biopic. Mossad spy went to Iraq. She claims that she went to do field research in Princeton. Princeton <laughs> School of Iraq. The office of the apartheid leader confirmed that she had been missing in Iraq for several months. And then the university is like, but we have no idea. Nobody told her to go there. Everybody has dropped her. Who will claim this woman? And apparently it's a Shia militia. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for decolonization, justice, and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if your yarmulke almost fell off because you were so fervently defending apartheid on TV. <laughs> I've never seen more symbolic representation of Zionism than Ben Gavir on TV being like, Palestinians have no right of movement. And his yarmulkes <laughs> hit to the side like a b-boy in the 1990s. Like, bro, uh, spare the yarmulke, okay? Yes. The yarmulke went on a wild ride. Like, <laughs> that yarmulke right. is like a person riding a mechanical bull, right? <laughs> that shit was just trying to, just trying to get some grip <laughs> right that's Imagine, how much right. judaism rebukes him is that his own yarmulke quit on him yeah his own yarmulke is vomiting him up uh in the words yes. of you know the, rab the, the good rabbi i said dr rabbi <laughs> <laughs> dr rabbi shapiro dr rabbi shapiro <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a good episode i can feel it before we get into today's episode please like comment subscribe if you hang out with us on youtube if you're listening on a podcast app subscribe and leave a review as always you can find full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com and if you want to get involved in the conversation reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on instagram at the palestine pod Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional podcast per week. It's called the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. Okay. you want to talk about the girl <laughs> who everybody thinks is a Mossad spy and went to, to Iraq? What? Uh, you don't know this story? No. Or if she's not Mossad, she's very much going on behalf of the government and is connected to the government and is spying on Arabs and Muslims and was kidnapped in Iraq and now nobody knows where she is. And she claims that she went there to do doctoral PhD field research in Princeton. But Princeton just... Ah, uh, yes, the Princeton <laughs> School of Iraq. <laughs> Everybody knows about the satellite campus of Princeton <laughs> in Iraq. It's one of the original uh, cradle of civilization <laughs> institutions, if you will. Well, 
Uh, let's be fair. I mean, the field research, right? Um, but no, it, it, why it came up again in the last couple of days is because uh, Princeton finally came out and was like, oh, her travel to Iraq was not authorized. And so now they're distancing. That's a shock. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I thought everybody who goes to Iraq does it through Princeton. <laughs> I was like, you got to clear your flight with them even. They won't even let you take off uh, if you don't have Princeton's say-so. Such a funny thing to say. Princeton told me to be here. Like, <laughs> um, dog, no, they didn't. Well, and, like, clearly they're going to come out. You're in Iraq. Like, no. Like, like, you know what I mean? That's such a... That's so fun. That's like, uh, I'm at a bakery. Prince Andrew told me to be here. Like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So her name is Elizabeth Tsurkov. And Electronic Intifada has been following this story very closely and doing a lot of reporting, trying to put the pieces together of basically who this person is and what on earth she was doing in Iraq. And So they confirmed that She's a dual Israeli and Russian national. Yes, and that she is a prior Israeli military intelligence veteran. She basically is like, no, that's not why I was in Iraq. I was in Iraq because I was working on my PhD. And everyone's like, but you're like, you used to be in the Israeli military intelligence. So like, is that probably not why you're in Iraq? And she, I'm just like studying, like just, I'm just like here for my PhD. And like, clearly... That's She's like, my PhD on. is in intelligence. Yes. <laughs> the Israeli government got involved, right? The apartheid government, the office of the apartheid leader, Netanyahu, confirmed that she had been missing in Iraq for several months and claimed that she was being held by an Iraqi Shia militia. If she's just a PhD student, why is he commenting? Yeah, he's like, don't worry, we also control the militia. Yahoo said she is an academic who visited Iraq on her Russian passport at her own initiative pursuant to work on her doctorate in academic research on behalf of Princeton University in the U.S. Then Princeton comes out and is just like, yeah, sorry, we don't know her. <laughs> That's that, so embarrassing. I know. Isn't that so embarrassing to be like, Princeton sent me to Iraq and Princeton is like, what? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. Even corrupt Netanyahu made the lie publicly where he was like yeah she was there for princeton had nothing to do with us it's like it sounds like she's a spy feel more honest if they were like she's a spy you got her give her back yeah exactly <laughs> you know like and the, uh, or and we'll they're... nuke you like that's kind of more their style <laughs> exactly they are bad at lying right yes it'd be we we covered this last time when they were like 16 body cameras stopped working right like oh, okay oh. When there was an allegation of branding and evidence yeah. of branding, right? I mean, a man was branded. Have you seen that they've been literally <laughs> trying to be like, it wasn't branding. It was the laces of a yeah. shoe. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, let me kick you in the face with my laces and see what happens. Well, it just shows you Zionist logic, right? You know, They're and so it always, bad at lying. It always goes back to Zionist logic that the, the coin or the term coined by Malcolm X. The notion that it would somehow be better if it was just a boot on his face that was pressed so deeply into his face that it caused him deep burns on his face to the point of like opening his skin and like searing into his face the same way that a branding would appear. Yeah, they're like, look, I know it looks like branding, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
what if it was actually shoelaces? Right. <laughs> it's like, so it's like, okay, what are you, a fucking troll? So I don't, you know, the notion that that would somehow exonerate them. Yeah. That, that would somehow be like the get out of jail card. No, no, no. It wasn't branding. It was just a shoe. We can all go back to our lives. Yeah, right? yeah. They're like, hey, don't be fucking stupid, okay? Yeah. You idiots, right? <laughs> we just kicked him in the face. <laughs> For okay, that's fine. <laughs> for two hours. And, you know, and don't ask any questions because that's what we do to Palestinians. It's not an exoneration, right? But it also shows you how deeply violent the Zionist ideology is, that they would think yeah. that it would somehow be better for it to be a shoe and not, you know, a metal burn, right? Well, their thing is like literally anything but the truth, right? So like whatever the truth is, take that and then fuck it. Sure. Exactly. The Zionists were like circling like the shoe that was used and like showing yeah. how it sort of looks like. And I'm like, okay, one, it's not the shoe. But two, even if it is the shoe, it's still a disturbing crime. They circled that shoe the way John Madden used to circle NFL highlights. Anyways, uh, back to the story about the spy. <laughs> Sirkov, yeah. So anyway, her sister writes an op-ed and saying... Please let my sissy go. <laughs> saying, well, my sister may not be a U.S. citizen or a green card holder. She is a doctoral student at Princeton and a resident of the state of New Jersey. So when I learned that Princeton was <laughs> trying to distance itself from any responsibility for Elizabeth's situation, denying my request for them to issue a public statement from the university affirming she is a graduate student and was doing research for her dissertation in Baghdad... I could not understand why. Not only does Princeton serve as my sister's academic home and community, but the university approved and funded her research. Anyway, so her sister continued that she heard from U.S. government officials that Princeton officials were leading them to believe that her sister was operating on her own. <laughs> it's so good. So basically, the U.S. government is like, yeah, we've talked to Princeton and Princeton says she's like a rogue loan, you know, op agent operating. Why does the U.S. government care about this Russian Israeli citizen? Like, <laughs> this is not a U.S. citizen. She's like, ah, I lived in New Jersey. Like, so what, right, dude? Right, right. The and, state again, of New Jersey doesn't give a fuck about you. It's this whole notion of why would you all comment about this if she wasn't a spy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the only reason the U.S. government is involved, the only reason Netanyahu's office is issuing, you know, statements is because there's something about this person that, you know. Do you know how many graduate students <laughs> go missing? <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was like, <laughs> graduate students could disappear entirely. And the U.S. and Israeli, like, offices would not have a comment. No, they don't care. They don't care at all. Okay, so... What do you think she was studying in Baghdad? Well, like, what? I don't know. But Electronic Intifada reporting on this, they were able to uncover that when she actually would go to Iraq, she concealed her Israeli identity and she presented herself falsely as a Russian researcher who sympathized with the Shia political movement and she sought interviews from their activists and their leaders. But she she even used a different name. She presented herself only as Russian, not as Israeli. Certainly never mentioned that she was previously involved with Israeli military intelligence. But a lot has come out about her 
her past, Electronic Intifada also reported that she spent several months in Lebanon, where she also entered on a Russian passport using a different name. And Lebanese officials are investigating the identities of the people who she was in contact with and who facilitated her visit. And this is pretty crazy because Lebanon actually prohibits the entry of Israelis or anyone with an Israeli stamp in their passport. So by even entering Lebanon, she had committed, uh, you know, a violation of their own laws. Same with Iraq. People in Iraq are not meant to interact with people from the occupation. It is illegal for Iraqis to have any contact with Israel, a crime punishable by death. You mean like from the article to speak to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It says, while it remains unclear why Tsurkov really traveled to Iraq and Lebanon, there is no doubt that she placed herself and her local contacts in grave danger. It is illegal for Iraqis to have any contact with Israel, a crime that can be punishable by death. Mm. So she was like, I don't care if you die. Yeah. I've got a study. I've got a story about she has to to write. Look, it's all weird. I don't know what's going on here. But, you know, if she's an agent of It does feel like we do know what's going on here. I don't know why you'd say that. (laughs) It seems pretty obvious to the naked eye what's going on here. She's a bad spy. She got caught. Right, right, right. Whoops. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it just also goes to show that the occupations like we don't know who she is. You know, they were happy to drop her like the first second they could. They were like, she's not a spy. She's a student. And then the university is like, but we have no idea. Nobody told her to go there. And like everybody who knows her has dropped her. Right. Yeah. Pretty fun game. Yeah. Uh, who will claim this woman? And apparently it's a Shia militia. <laughs> there's a new book about Pegasus, which I have ordered and I can't wait to read. Mm. Um, I got Pegasus one time. It was uncomfortable. I don't know what that means, and I am just going to keep going. Just weird. Guess who wrote the introduction to the book about Pegasus? General Michael Hayden of the NSA. <laughs> no. Think more MSNBC vibes. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> MSNBC uh, vibes, not Fox uh, Rachel Maddow. Yes. No, really? Our sister, Rachel uh, Maddow. Don't you dare. <laughs> How dare you? Just because she and I have the same haircut. Why would you say that? I don't know why she wrote this introduction. But Electronic Intifada did a book review of this new book on Pegasus. Pegasus, How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy. Pegasus, as we all know, is the spyware that was developed by an Israeli cyber arms company that is connected to the government, the apartheid government, and is designed to be running covertly and remotely installed on mobile phones that are running iOS and Android. So anybody's phone, anybody's smartphone could have Pegasus on it and not even know. And in fact, many people's smartphones do. I have actually met uh, an MEP from the European Parliament whose phone was infected with Pegasus spyware and who told me, I was like, I hope you got a new phone. He was like, I did. And then he gave me his card and told me to call him. And I was like, I probably won't call you. 
But definitely check out this book. It is a deep investigation into the entire web of Pegasus from inception, who's working on it, where it's being used, what are the implications. And everybody needs to know about this because it actually affects everybody's rights, um, anyone with a smartphone. Mayor Eric Adams of New York City just visited the occupation. He went to the Wailing Wall in occupied Jerusalem to legitimize the land theft and brutal occupation that exists, the annexation that's happened, particularly accelerated over the last few years, but ultimately started in 1967 when Jerusalem was captured by the occupation. Mayor Eric Adams has, of course, targeted people who are pro-Palestine. He came after the CUNY law student Fatima Mohammed when she made a statement in support of Palestine at her graduation. He said previously that he wants to retire in the Golan Heights, also a former police officer. So there are abundant reasons to hate this man. The NYPD, of course, has over 10 offices internationally and a budget that balloons more often than resistance from the West Bank. Respectable analogy. Yeah, I wish they had his funding. It is weird, though, his trip. He, he, he went to visit illegal settlements. He met with the leaders of those settlements, so literal war criminals, right? Guilty yes. of committing war crimes. Weird. That is weird when they, you know, even on paper, the U.S. position. No, is no, no, that's normal. Okay. It's <laughs> normal for a mayor of a country, of a city in another country to visit uh, an apartheid state and legitimize their actions. He toured also the police academy. So he's just on this like heavy propaganda, apartheid propaganda tour. He was like, hey, let me show you how to kick somebody in the face and not leave the Star of David. Jewish Voice for Peace, one of their Twitter accounts wrote, instead of staying in New York to address the raging housing crisis and otherwise support the people he was elected to serve, Adams is flying to Israel to strengthen ties with an extremist and racist government. One of the latest wacky proposals coming out of the occupation which is that their propaganda minister, and by the way, that is her official title. Her name is Distal Atbarian, and she wants to revoke the credentials of journalists who are critical of Israel. This was published in the Haaretz. It is, you know, just par for the course in the only democracy in the Middle East to propose to remove the credentials of journalists who are critical of the apartheid state. She tweeted earlier this week, while Israel respects freedom of speech, as Minister of Public Diplomacy, she would not allow the biased coverage that is being conducted in our backyard to exist without an appropriate response. What's the appropriate response? Because they have been murdering journalists for quite some time. Well, I guess this is with respect to international and even Israeli journalists, right? This is not even a question of Palestinian journalists. We know what happens to them. They're just murdered. But what about international correspondents that are operating within the apartheid state? What happens to them? And so this is what this proposal is about. But the translation of that is really, we don't believe in freedom of speech, because if we did believe in freedom of speech, we wouldn't be immediately talking about how we are curbing that very freedom that we are saying that we believe in. 
And what so, do they think their backyard is? Florida? <laughs> it goes to show how so much of the strategy of running an apartheid state is just controlling the narrative from all angles. Controlling what people are saying about you within the borders of the apartheid state, controlling your perception on the international stage, controlling your perception in the halls of Washington, controlling your perception amongst people worldwide, you know, painting Israel as this fun, happy place, come have a drink on the beach, the nightlife, the gay bars. Oh, it's just this beacon of freedom and just fun, right? That is not some inconsequential element of the apartheid infrastructure. It is essential to its existence. If ever they were just like, come murder Palestinians for fun, there'd still be people who signed up. But That's what uh, I was just going to say. <laughs> I was talking to a kid here in London. His family is from South Africa. And I explained to him that there is a contingent of people who converted to Judaism and moved from South Africa because they were like, we just fucking love apartheid, dude. Yeah. They're like, we used to hate Jews, but now we're one of them. It is weird what people are willing to do to live they're truly authentic selves, i.e. colonizers, you know, like you will change your religion. It speaks to how how strong the colonizer energy is. People don't their change identity their... is always shifting. Yes. Right? Just like what Rabbi Shapiro said. Their identity is always shifting because the lies are always shifting. The landscape is always shifting. Everything is in constant movement because they have nothing that actually roots them together palestinians have roots like olive tree roots yes. and that's why the settlers are burning it because it's a threat like just the idea that palestinians have been there for thousands of years is a threat shall we talk about golda sure latest effort to popularize colonial war criminals the movie golda is set to premiere you know this is consistent with the whole Look at us. We're just this young nation surrounded by all of these hostile Arabs that just want us dead, but we're victorious and we're the underdogs and we're here. And it's like, okay, well, just, you know, slow down a bit and let's talk about who this lady is that this movie is about. Golda Mabovich, a Ukrainian, change her name to War Golda criminal. Yes, Ukrainian? a Ukrainian war, war criminal. criminal changed her name to Golda Meir in an attempt to sound less Ukrainian. She is famously quoted for saying that there's no such thing as Palestinians. There's a tweet, Golda Meir, a Ukrainian terrorist who didn't want sick or disabled Jews moving to the occupation, threatened a worldwide nuclear holocaust, helped cannibal dictator Idi Amin seize power, and basically poisoned land in the West Bank as a part of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Better give her a movie. Waiting on the Mussolini biopic. She was born, well, she was born in what is now modern-day Ukraine. She immigrated to the U.S. in 1906, and she attended high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then, in 1921, she immigrated to Palestine. 
Yes, the natural immigration path. <laughs> Milwaukee to Palestine. Uh, she's also quoted as saying that we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children, but we can never forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. You know what's messed up about that quote? What's messed up about it is that it situates Zionist brutality in this space of morality, right? So, so basically the idea is we can't forgive them for making us kill their children because we are so moral and murder really bothers us. And that's why we can't forgive them for that. However, we are also so morally superior in that when our own children are killed, we can forgive that because, you know, who could forgive that except for us because we're morally superior. So like on multiple levels, it's, it's twisting and distorting and, and pushing out this version of Zionism that is that, you know, we are, we care so much about these Palestinians that we're killing. We care so much about the Palestinian children that we're murdering. And it troubles us so deeply to have to murder them, but it's all the Palestinians' fault that they're making us do it, right? They don't care about their own kids. We care about them more than they do. Do they even know what it's like to get a cramp after a mass execution? Also, one of the major architects of the, the illegal Israeli settlements, she facilitated the intentional poisoning and theft of Palestinian land in the 1970s by releasing a toxic crop duster onto Palestinian villages, ethnically cleansing the Palestinians who lived there. Also consistent with their whole pattern of just destroying the land, right? This is the precursor to skunk water. I'm just going to release toxic chemicals on the land and infest the land. Palestinians wouldn't do that because we care about the land. But the people who are coming to colonize don't actually care about the land. It's not their land. They don't care. They're going to spray it with skunk water. They're going to spray it with toxic chemicals. Anything possible to rid the land of its actual inhabitants. The other thing I was thinking of was when you look back at the early Zionist leaders, and she wasn't one of the early, early ones, but she was, you know, and, and when you, when you look at what they say, what they did, what we see today is perfectly consistent with that. Sometimes we hear things about, you know, Ben Gavir and Smotrich and all this stuff. And there's this, especially in the liberal Zionist discourse, a little bit of like a, oh, but it's so extreme now. Oh, it didn't used to be like that. Oh, this is, you know, we're moving away from, from, from this great identity that we had, and now we're going to something bad. You know, the people that are out there in those democracy protests, protesting to save Israel, save the, you know, save the identity of this so-called nation, they believe that. But you don't have to look very far to actually realize that everything that you see today exists because it's perfectly consistent with the, the, the history there is a precedent for it in the previous architects of this ideology. I want to just highlight this portion of the NPR coverage. Found out personal details about Golda. And apparently she smoked basically 30 packets a day of cigarettes, which doesn't make sense. I'd imagine they meant like 30 cigarettes. 30 cigarettes, drank 30 black coffees a day, and did not really eat. Yeah, and if she smoked 30 packets a day with 20 cigarettes per packet, that's 600 cigarettes per day, 
which is 25 cigarettes per hour, which is a cigarette every two minutes, I guess. Yeah. Hey, they say you are what you eat. So she was toxic waste. (laughs) She did die of lymphoma. So hard to say it was all bad. You know how we're like the occupation is a safe haven for pedophiles and sex criminals. The Knesset passed a right wing back law that makes it such that if the person committing a sexual assault, an aggravated sex crime is not of Jewish descent, then the punishment is more severe. What they've done is they have tiered rape, basically, where it's like if you're Jewish, you know, you get a regular punishment. But if you are Palestinian and there are allegations that you have raped or sexually harassed somebody, you can then be tried for what they're calling sex offenses motivated by terrorism. Oh, wow. So there is some pushback from inside the occupation. Former head of Knesset's Women's Status Committee told the Knesset, do not punish according to hierarchies and classifications. Yeah, but even Another... if they say that, we know very well that's just what happens, right? Even right, if they course. don't put it on paper, yeah. and, you know, formalize the yeah, 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 two-tiered yeah. system, that's just how they're dealt with in practice. No, it's very much like a criminal enterprise where they're like, no, just don't write it down. Just don't like, put don't it Don't leave on... evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why are you making this the law when we all know this is what it is? <laughs> right. Right. You can be a sex criminal. You could be a rapist, a pedophile. Yes. And they are like, do you have a bank account? Yes. Because we love that. Actually, this reminds me of um, one of Zachary Foster's tweets. This also explains why the, why the world got so enraged at Ben Gavir last week when he said, my rights are more important than the Arabs' rights, because he rejected the number one rule of Zionism, which is do Zionism quietly. If you say the quiet part out loud, you are going to ruin everything. And he's just been saying the quiet part out loud. Now, whether or not it actually matters or, you know, causes any sort of consequence is a different question. But it is true that just do it, but don't talk about it. That's what they do. Yes. Zionism is like Fight Club. (laughs) Where the number one rule is don't tell people about it. Tell people literally anything else. Branded a man on the face with a Star of David? No shoelaces created one of the largest refugee populations in the world no they didn't exist it's always take what happened and then flip it on its head it is also like fight club in that they like to blow up buildings spoiler alert (laughs) if you've not seen the end of fight club i'm so sorry i mean i think if you haven't seen fight club in 2023 we can spoil it for you i feel like there's like a statute of limitations on spoiling you know who hates a statute of limitations the (laughs) rapists inside the occupation i think they would like them well uh, that's true that is true (laughs) they just hate any limitations From 2004 to 2018, if you were an Israeli settler and you lived in a settlement in the West Bank, you got access to 3G. But in the same time period, if you were a Palestinian living kilometers away on your land in the West Bank, you were denied access to 3G on the basis that you were Palestinian. Shows how it's on every level. Goods, services, movement, everything. Everything is different depending on if you're Palestinian 
or an Israeli on the same land. Ben Gavir is like, my right to download and upload as I please is more important. Yeah, I would love to look at his search history. Actually, I'm sure it would be. I don't think you would. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how? it's like just it's, pictures it's, it's, of bread. Oh, <laughs> uh, gross. It's images of his god awful, ugly wife. His wife looks like a linebacker who plays field hockey. I don't know. I haven't seen his wife and I don't really want to. Ben Gavir's wife. Okay, we cannot just end this episode with jokes about Ben Gavir's wife. Ben Gavir's wife like, we looks have to like provide more stories for this episode. You just told me that two minutes ago, and now you've just been on like a monologue about his wife, which you know I'm here for, but I just don't think it's this. Ben Gavir's wife looks like he ate his wife, folks. <laughs> we're ending with a Ben Gavir roast. <laughs> It's pro- well, one of those things I said about his wife is probably going to make it. <laughs> and uh, that has been another episode of the Palestine pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine pod. That's been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day and fuck Ben Gavir's wife. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think if we added up the amount of times that you've been like, hello, can you hear me? Like we'd have a podcast in and of itself. Okay. (laughs) It would be a podcast about, (laughs) about not being heard. Yeah. Nobody would listen. Right?